Welcome, space boys and space girls, to a new edition of the Boob Tube Boys. I'm your host, Van Lee. Brian Vaughn, I'm excited to see that you've dressed up as Transgemini. Yep. You look great in your Transgemini costume. You got a vest, you got the little short shorts on, you have a tail. Mm-hmm. I have she uh, has, in case you guys some it. like chalk on my face. But you always have that, so I didn't point it well, out. More, though, I have more. Well, I'm excited you're here to join me. Me too, episode. I'm glad. I like it when I'm here for the podcast. And Spencer? I'm glad you're here as well. I'm here as Kevin Sorbo. As Kevin Sorbo. I was going to describe your costume, but you did it for me. Well, you didn't describe it, but do that now. Oh, I'm just Kevin Sorbo. I think he's got a very distinctive look. If you've ever seen Kevin Sorbo, and you should see Kevin Sorbo, <laughs> he just has that look. It's kind of the vacant the vacant model look. You know, like Zoolander, Ben Stiller's character, mm-hmm. he can't perfect the, what is the, it's something ice, I think. He has a he has a look with his eyes that he can't get him to do because he's just too dumb. Mm. There's just not much going on up there. That's, that, a Sorbo. that's Kevin Sorbo. That's and the I real would, life version. Yeah. I would argue also that Ben Stiller is probably too good of an actor to pull it off. Yeah, I think that's a good argument. And you, that's not even necessarily saying anything positive about Ben Stiller. Right. I think he's too trained in how to how to perform. That Maybe he that's why uh, Zoolander wasn't very good then. Yeah, I didn't like it either. Apparently it has a cult status now of some kind, but I, I don't care for it. You know, they made a second one. I did not know that. Yeah, like last year or something. It was really recent. I've never actually watched Zoolander myself. Good. Don't. don't do it. I'm good. And this isn't one of those things where we say don't, and then later you get curious, like, well, I'd like to have a new opinion on this too. Just, Just don't, don't do it. Don't bother. It is not worth your time. You know what is worth your time, Kevin Ryan Sorbo. Long. Kevin Sorbo in Andromeda, which we'll be covering today. It is a Gene Roddenberry helmed. His ideas were formed into Andromeda. He is, of course, the creator of Star Trek, which we all know and love is a sci-fi, I guess, science-based kind of TV show. Spock's in it. Spock's in it. We have Captain Kirk. Uhura? Is that right? Is that how you say that? She just died recently, the actress who plays her, and I cannot like me remember her name, but yeah, just recently. Wow. It's too bad. But we're not talking that. We're talking Andromeda on today's show. Scotty, there's a Scotty in that show. There's a Scotty in a lot of those shows, and I think that Scotty guy got real fat because I think that was the joke as he got older in life. Is that it would fat. be tougher to beam him up? Yes, because of the fat. Okay, sorry I interrupted you to name a person I remembered from Star Trek. It's par for the course when you're that listening is, uh, to Boob Tube Boys. It's kind of part of the charm of this show is that it is weird. Real quick before we get into Andromeda. What was your guys' experience with it? Spencer, do you ever seen the show? Have you really even heard of it Mm-mm. prior to this? No, not at all. No, no, it looks like, you know, somebody kind of took some elements of what you're supposed to have in a sci-fi show, put them in a blender, and then just, here's what the result was. And also Sorboed all over it. <laughs> yeah, and then after that, put in Kevin Sorbo as the lead character. <laughs> what about you, Brian? I had never seen an episode, so I, I don't have a lot of experience with this sort of sci-fi. I didn't watch Babylon 5 or Stargate or... Andromeda, any of these kinds of shows when I was younger, or for that matter, even Star Trek (laughs) as a kid or anything, really. So I went into this cold, but I got to tell you guys something about these sorts of space shows, which I'm starting to think of as padded vest shows, if you will. (laughs) They're leaving something to be desired in me. They try to be very philosophical and kind of humorous at the same time, and the, the results are often lacking. I don't know if it's in the personnel or the budget available to them or or what. Well, I think part of that stems from Gene Roddenberry's whole mission with Star Trek was to make something that was positive, I guess you could say, because in the original concept of Star Trek, certainly not the movies recently, the idea was that humanity's good. They fixed all the problems. 
They know what's up. So it's them just going out to do things. So I think there's a little bit of that left over in all of these shows and that they're trying to show that, you know, world and society is doing what it's doing, but we have a path that we've reached that's gone well. Now let's throw a wrench into it. Right. There's always the one cataclysmic event. And there certainly is one with Andromeda, which we'll get into here shortly. I had not actually watched it. I knew of the show. I loved Hercules when I was younger. So I remember thinking... Did oh, you I, love it last year when we covered uh, covered it for the podcast? Not as much, surprisingly. <laughs> but I thought when I was a kid, you know, this has Kevin Sorbo in it. I like Hercules. Maybe I'll like this show. But I, even back then, was like, this is just a little too nerdy for me. And that is saying <laughs> an awful lot. So I never really watched it. I just knew now as an adult, it was a sci-fi show with Kevin Sorbo. So I got to check this out. No, I think for, for our purposes, it's absolutely perfect. Well, let's get into the show now. And while the show most certainly does carry the Gene Roddenberry name, in truth, the show is merely based off of one of his old story concepts. How do we know this, you ask? Because in the year 2000, when the show came out, Gene Roddenberry had been dead for a full nine years. <laughs> the show actually received the blessing of his name from his still-alive wife, Majel Barrett Roddenberry. Oh, yeah, that's a great name. What a name. That's hyphenated, of course. And Barrett Roddenberry, who I will refer to from now on as Majel, so I don't have to say that the whole time, had a big hand in everything her husband did. In fact, she was often referred to as the first lady of Star Trek because she acted in a vast majority of the shows, and she was the voice of the computer interfaces throughout most of the series' runs as well. So she, of course, knew her stuff. I just personally think it's kind of amusing to call it Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda since he's just been dead for a decade by that point. This is such a, I mean, it's every form of media, but in science fiction and fantasy in particular, the slap a dead guy's name on your work to get it, you know, more eyeballs on it has been going on for quite some time. Yeah, I've seen that too in like horror as well. Yes. Oh yeah, Wes Craven. I, so yeah, so. I've all, I, as a kid, I really was confused about that. Like I, John Carpenter made a vampires movie or something. It was like John Carpenter's mm -hmm. vampires. Actually, most John Carpenter movies have John Carpenter's, even the ones that you wouldn't like. Why does this have that? Because mm -hmm. it's mean, kind of awkward. Is it and just like, an ego thing? Because I don't really could get be it. for him because he has quite yeah. an ego. I love, I love sure. all the well, guys. Yeah, works. I would I mean, assume cutting edge stuff. Mm. I would <laughs> assume it was some sort of way for him to get some sort of ownership over it. Yeah. Because sure. early on, I know he was all weird and reluctant to work with studios and stuff. I don't know. I, I'd like to know why he did that. I'd like to know why anyone does it. Dario Argento does that also. Speaking of horror people. Mm, I recognize the name. Puts his name on a bunch of stuff. Can you give me an example of he one did of, one of the, He things? did a bunch of those Masters of Horrors. Okay. He did uh, Suspiria. Probably Jennifer with one in. Yeah, he probably did Jennifer with one in. He didn't do uh, pelts. Pelts with meatloaf. <laughs> it was meatloaf, right? It also, yeah, I guess, yeah. rest gives in peace. You, it gives you the artistic license to just name your name your movie the most basic version of what you're talking about, like vampires. You can't just yeah. say, "What's your movie called?" Vampires. That fucking so rules, you can though. Like, you should do that. <laughs> <laughs> there might be like ten of them. You can be like, "Oh no, John Carpenter's Vampires," or "John Carpenter's the thing," not not that other the thing that yeah. I've seen. <laughs> you know, you could argue that one does make sense. John Carpenter's because it's, a, the it's thing. a remake. <laughs> oh yeah, it is. That's right. Yeah, that's the only time I think it makes sense. Otherwise, it just comes across as really ego driven. I wish this was called. Kevin Sorbo's Andromeda. <laughs> <laughs> it pretty much is and by it, the time yeah, we get around to next Yeah, that makes sense, week. too, is, you know, since he does seem to kind of, in his own little manly way, claim ownership of the, of the Avatar version of Andromeda. Certainly, in the, <laughs> in the uh, next episode we'll watch for next week, he overbearingly dominates it. Hmm? And there's a reason for that, which I'll get into. 
next week for sure. Anyway, the concept of this show is based on Roddenberry's writings of a distant future where society has collapsed and it's up to one Kevin Sorbo-sized man put it all right. Alongside writer Robert Hewitt Wolf, who also helped create Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Majel planned it all out where mankind had developed a constitutional monarchy based on a distant star system. The Commonwealth is currently at war with a predatory humanoid bat-faced species <laughs> called the Magog. They're violent warmongering. They're basically like just vicious killers. The war with the Magog then has High Guard Captain Dylan Hunt lead his ship, the Andromeda. Such a futuristic space name. Dylan Hunt. Alongside his crew to a potential battle where eventually he's frozen in the event horizon of a black hole for 300 years, only to wake up after the Commonwealth has collapsed due to a betrayal by the humanoid Nietzscheans, which is, uh, well, more on them later. We'll save that for a minute. This is, of course, what occurs in the pilot episode of this show, and I watched this. I thought, why not? I'll take a look at it, and it was pretty terrible. <laughs> Captain Hunt is actually awoken by a ragtag crew of people who eventually join alongside him to try and, quote, rekindle the light of civilization. So that leads us into our cast. Now, obviously, we've said Kevin Sorbo's here as Dylan Hunt, and I'm going to call him Kevin Sorbo. That's fine. But what other weeks. things would, would our audience maybe know Kevin Sorbo from? Hercules, The Legendary Journeys. Hmm, anything else? Uh, I guess if you have a Pure Flix subscription, yeah, us. you know, and you, you like to watch Christian cinema. And really, we've covered a lot of Sorbo stuff on this show back when we did Hercules, Legendary Journeys. So go check out that episode. It's episode nine of the Boob Two Boys. You'll hear all about that. To sum it up, though, Kevin Sorbo sucks. Is yeah. that an accurate statement? Real piece of As garbage. A person, yeah. He's a faux Christian personality. He says racist shit, and he largely gets away with it. He basically just panders to his base. Shocker. That works well for people like him. So mo let's move on to Rebecca Becca Valentine, who's played by Lisa Ryder. And honestly, I can't tell which one of those names is cooler. Becca <laughs> Valentine or Lisa Ryder. They're both fucking cool. <laughs> it's the last names. Yeah. In both cases. The character of Valentine is a tough woman whose father was a smuggler, so therefore she inherited the family business and spaceship, which she then uses to reactivate the Andromeda and be a tough woman who knocks Sorbo down a peg or two at times. The actress writer is a Canadian actress. She's still active to this day. She's had a long career. She's had spots in Jason X, Degrassi, The Next Generation, The Strain, and plenty more. What do you guys know about Degrassi? Drake was in it. That's what I know about it. And I assume it's some sort of like teen drama. I think it's a, a teen like Canadian soap opera. Which, you know. That sounds pretty cool. I kind of do want to know what the differences in Canadian and American teen soap operas are. Now, now they'd probably be non-existent because everyone has streaming services. But back in like, well, I don't know. When was the original Degrassi? How old is Drake? Is he like, is uh, he 30? 70. Is he 50? I honestly have no idea. I couldn't tell you. Yeah, so yeah, it may have either. been in the 90s. It may have been 2010. Who knows? We are not Drakesperts around here. Well, don't don't put words in Spencer's mouth. He might be a Drakespert. We don't know. <laughs> I don't remember when this happened, but it happened. I told you guys my dad has a lady friend for a long time and her brother works for Drake's sound team. Mm -hmm. oh, I don't yeah. remember when that happened. That is my only connection to Drake, and I don't really know how I feel about him. To be honest, we might have been talking about Degrassi. It's possible. Why else were we were talking about Drake? I mean, I don't get it. I don't know why he ever came up. Well, Tyr Anasazi is going to come up, Spencer. He's a Nietzschean mercenary. They're a race yeah. of advanced humans who split off from normal, quote-unquote, humans thousands of years ago. They dedicated themselves to strength through eugenics, where things like love were ignored in favor of merely furthering the species. 
They're super strong, capable warriors, but also basically known for doing whatever's in their best interest. So if, say, a small handicapped child was trying to find a way to cross the street, instead of helping that kid cross the street, the Nietzscheans would steal his money, throw him in front of a passing car, and then they'd flex a bunch. Right. Especially if you're Tyr. Tyr is enormous. Oh, he's a big boy. He's played by actor Keith Hamilton Cobb. What a name that is. I don't know. I wouldn't have pictured this guy if I, you told me this guy's name is Keith Hamilton Hogg. No, that sounds Whoa. like a, a professor. <laughs> I messed that up, yeah. <laughs> oh, man, a little subliminal thinking. <laughs> well, Cobb is mostly known for just being a big, handsome boy, although he also has had a few recurring roles, things like All My Children, The Young and the Restless, so again, soap operas, stuff like that. Adorable actress Laura Bertram plays Transgemini, a kind of like chaotic but well-intentioned alien of unknown species who, like I said, has a prehensile tail. I didn't notice it in this episode the first I time either. I watched, but you see it, and particularly in other episodes, she uses it. So it's like she grabs stuff. It's very kind of jarring to see. She has some crazy character development that I won't quite get into just yet, but she eventually becomes just a basically a pretty important character in the grand scheme of things. Oh, and she loses her tail in a firefight in season two because she just didn't like dealing with it as an actress. So they just, poof. Oh, um, they wrote it out. They wrote the tail out. I don't blame her. I mean, mm -hmm. years of carrying that thing around off your butt. <laughs> well, Bertram was born in Ontario, and she has a hearty batch of credits to her name, but also mostly small appearances in television shows. Yeah. She's also an acting coach. She was an Are You Afraid of the Dark? Mm -hmm. And we also have, I guess, the comedic relief character of the show, Seamus Zelazny Harper. Oh, hold on, my heart is going faster, <laughs> and not in Angrily, a good way. Yeah, He's an engineering whiz and can link his brain directly up with computers via the USB port that he has on his neck. Seamus was hired by Becca to be her engineer, and he's basically the show's tech and gadget guy. What did he say in the interview? <laughs> I don't know, but it worked. Because he's like constantly is sexually harassing everyone. Everyone. <laughs> That's his only character trait. It comes up quickly. Well, he fixes things when they break as well. He's played by Gordon Michael Wolvett. <laughs> what a name. Is a Canadian who's done a bunch of things. They're all Canadians. They're all Canadians. This yeah. show was, I guess, shot in Vancouver. Oh, yeah. Like a lot of these shows were. They're cheap to make and film there, and they get local actors, and good for them. Works up. Out. He was also in the shows iZombie and Supernatural. And then my last note here right, that I wrote about Seamus slash Gordon Michael Wolvett is that he's a twat. I want to see if you remember this, because you were a Nickelodeon kid. Oh, boy. Okay, he was one of the hosts of Wild Side, which is like one of those kids' game shows. Boy, I don't remember that show. That's <laughs> probably was, a good thing. He was a kid. You know, he's one of those kid hosts. Why would they do that? Kids can't do anything. Oh, well. I'm sure he talks just like this. And then finally, for our core cast today, we see the avatar of the Andromeda. She's known as Rami, who was created to make it easier for the crew of the ship to communicate and function alongside the warship. And get used to me saying the word warship today. I've said an awful lot of stupid names so far, and we're, what, 10 minutes into this thing? But I'm going to say possibly the worst, stupidest name you've ever heard in mentioning that Rami is played by Canadian actress Lexa Doig. <laughs> and something bothers me so much about the name Doig. <laughs> Doig! Doig! Hey, Doig, what you doing over there? It's like a weird way to pronounce Doug. Well, Doig is by far the most successful of the non-Sorbos of this cast, and possibly more so than Sorbo himself, in that she's remained a hell of a lot more relevant for a lot longer. And I'll say it, this may be a stretch, a little bit easier on the eyes than Kevin Sorbo is. Well, it depends who you are, I guess. No, it... Well, on. I don't know, by now Sorbo has supreme eye baggage, so <laughs> it, it is weighing him down. I, I didn't look at Sorbo's age here, but he seems so tired. 
I think he's in his 40s, but remember, he had a stroke towards the end of Hercules. Oh, and I this keep is forgetting that. that I don't want to make fun of certain people because they're but you can do mitigating. That yeah, he's such a bad guy. That, yeah, and I don't think that's what that is, what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, Doig has been in pretty much every syndicated TV show ever, including Arrow as Talia Al Ghul, a.k.a. Liam Neeson's <laughs> daughter, and mm. all those DC things. What is Arrow about? Arrows. <laughs> no, it's the Green Arrow, I think. Oh, but I don't a, know what okay. that is or who that is. I just think that's it. She's been in Continuum, Smallville, Eureka, Stargate, SG-1, and is still active in something called Virgin River, as well as some other thing called Aurora Tea Garden Mysteries. Hmm. <laughs> I'll have one very fun fact about her at the end of this episode, so stay tuned. Lastly, we sadly do not get to experience the character of Rev Bim. He is a member of the Magog species of bat people. However, he's one of the good ones in the sense that he follows a pacifist ideology called The Way, which is in stark contrast to the vast majority of his fellow bloodthirsty Magogs. His full name, again, Rev Bim is what we call him, is Reverend Bohemial Far Traveler. <laughs> Far Traveler. He was played by actor Brent Strait, and his character was basically abandoned and written off the show because Strait ended up with a latex allergy and he couldn't do the makeup anymore because it's a full bat faced thing and... <laughs> bat gloves and it's <laughs> it's hard to look at i watched a few episodes with him in it and the character's nice and all he's pacifist but it's just this big hairy awful looking bat that looks like it's been squashed by a frying pan <laughs> andromeda is hard to look at the whole As thing. A show it's an ugly gross show i don't every now and then i have to say this but the presentation of this show is gross <laughs> he's not in this episode recovering despite being a core cast member at this time again because of the makeup issue so that's it for the cast let's go ahead and get into this episode we are covering Season 1, Episode 20, Starcrossed. And I read the synopsis last week. Basically, computers fuck. Yeah. That covers it. Or ships. Well, our space story begins as many a space story does, with words flying aimlessly throughout space. But unlike Star Wars words, these are what amount to be an inspirational quote, I guess we could say. Yeah. This, of course, happens before every single episode of Andromeda, as far as I can tell. And the words that are up on the screen are, you ask why we give our ships, computers, normal emotions. Do you really want a warship incapable of loyalty or of love? And that is by the Unshattered Allegiance High Guard <laughs> Frigate Artificial Intelligence Rights Activists, CY7309. I really like the balls-out nature of fake quotes from a fake person in your fake universe. That's exactly it. I assumed this would be quotes from our universe. Yeah, but no, no, it's just bullshit. That, that they made rules. Up. And then I'll kind of translate the quote for you, okay. which is, do you really want a battleship that you can't settle down with that will not surprise <laughs> you with flowers or a night out? It's kind of the thesis statement of this episode. It's quite beautiful when you say it. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're jolted awake now with the horrible, horrible singing of Trans Gemini and Seamus Harper as they cackle their way through what sounds like some sort of military anthem. <laughs> Things are all whimsical, and they stay that way for a while, as it turns out the crew is celebrating being asked to join a new Drift, which is a large colony that has formed over time. Basically, they've been given a new job recently, and they're excited, they're singing about it. Seamus is thrilled because the Drift, named Shahrazad, sure. it's called Party Central, according to him. Trance says they even have a guild devoted to the forbidden art, of belly dancing. Ooh. This poor cute little nerd actress does what I can only describe as a feeble attempt at belly dancing as an example of her little story. But since he's always the focus in the room, Sorbo decides to tell a little bit of a joke. France, that's Iridano's sign language. And I think you just made a rather naughty suggestion to Harper. Uh-oh. Uh, 
that naughty suggestion, guys. It's uh, poop. It's a, they, you know, they poop. Ooh. Poop. Like they poop together? Poop. <laughs> Two poops I mean, Harper's time. probably into it, so I still oh, wouldn't, I wouldn't in, do that. He wouldn't oh, care yeah. what it was. And this is the first time that Kevin Sorbo gets in on his little rye. One thing you should know about Dylan Hunt is he's supposed to be one of those captains that, you know, he gets down to business and he's tough, but, <laughs> but he can crack a joke. And, and the thing is... I hate him. I, he's <laughs> Kevin Sorbo doesn't convey either side of that character well. So I think what you mean to say is he, he works hard and he plays hard. <laughs> Perfect. Business is the front. Part of <laughs> yeah, that. Exactly. I wish he had a mullet. That'd be great. <laughs> and we're inevitably going to compare this show to Babylon 5 because it's a recent sci-fi experience we had. Not as good. Let's just get that no. out there. But I think what you're saying, Brian, is that Kevin Sorbo is more like that second captain we got than the first one. Sure, that's a good example. A little more free. I think so. And the problem here is Kevin Sorbo is not an actor that has... He's not... Skill. Talent. There's no charisma. He's not likable. I I, I know that he was on Hercules and that wound up getting him more roles, but like he's never been a quality actor. And when you're kind of asked to laugh with him, for me, that's a tough sell. (laughs) That's a tough ask. Well, we find out Seamus tried to get laid that weekend. He did not have any success, which then leads us into hearing about how much Kevin Sorbo gets to fuck in space, which ultimately makes Seamus so jealous. He says, I give up. You're like a freaking magician. Yeah. This what whole, are you, Rick Thomas or something? The, <laughs> this whole scene is to set up how good Kevin Sorbo fucks. Mm-hmm. And of course he does. Of course he's, oh, a, yeah. he's a space ladies man is, <laughs> is what I put in my notes. Of course he is. What, what else? He's the best at be? everything. He's yeah. infallible. You know what though? Having been frozen for 300 years, he's the equivalent of like, I don't know, George Washington getting laid all the time in our society. <laughs> I guess that would happen. I don't know. Maybe it would happen. <laughs> you know, walking around it. with his fucking wooden ass teeth. <laughs> with his mushroom head. Yeah. <laughs> You have to take a $1 bill and you fold it just right. It looks like a mushroom. He's like, I don't understand why only the people in the English parliament dress correctly. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, the fun, and I put that in quotations, banter has to end and the crew jumps into business mode because the ship's avatar Rami has signaled that they are needed on the bridge. When they arrive, they find out Rami has discovered the passenger ship, the Ekatrina, is being attacked by the Restorians. Now, the Restorians are actually just a bunch of eco-terrorists, and they believe that interspace travel results in the destruction of indigenous cultures. So, yes, I'm sure it does. They fight that at all costs then. They're like if PETA was militant and not just a bunch of hot celebrities nude in advertisements. So anyway, this Restorian ship is trying to shoot the Ekatrina. Ronnie explains all of this while the computer screen at her desk shows a triangle being chased by a smaller, flatter triangle. <laughs> which is then firing tiny triangles at the first much larger triangle. I guess pyramid, because it's 3D-ish. So it would be a yeah, pyramid, wouldn't it? Yeah, this mm. is another... Again, this show doesn't uh, look good. No, no. It's all wireframe, 3D, 2000 CGI. Not a lot of uh, sets to uh, look at. It's pretty much like three hallways and the bridge, and that's it. And like yeah, one other that room. That control that room thing that they're just always I was in. upset about the fact that I never really believed that it was a spaceship they were in. Like, I was they never too. sold that to I was me. like, this is really cool that you guys rented a three-bedroom <laughs> house. <laughs> I, I didn't ever at any point feel like I was in space when I was watching this None show. None of this felt like a fully realized universe. Right. While all of this is going down, Sorbo is screaming captain things like move to intercept and battle stations. And that one cracked me up (laughs) when he yells battle stations. And they're all there with his stupid fucking serious face that is not (laughs) right. It doesn't 
he's just not there. He's a person acting and you can look at it and see it all the time. <laughs> Ugh. The crew move the Andromeda into attack position and Sorbo contacts the Restorian ship. He says, back off or I'm going to shoot. We see the smash triangle shoot another triangle at a large triangle, <laughs> which then signifies that the Restorians are ignoring the request. So Sorbo says, Andromeda, target their weapon Yeah, what are they, systems. Ignorians now? <laughs> this causes the triangle version of the Andromeda ship to fire some triangles <laughs> at the Restorian triangle with a direct hit causing the Restorian fighter to fly off, except not at all. The enemy then turns around with a hit and heads straight for the Ekaterina Triangle, and it kamikazes right into the transport ship, likely killing everyone on board. Rami verifies the tragedy, saying there were 536 passengers, all dead. A solemn look comes across the faces of our crew, and the scene fades to black. Cue the Andromeda intro sequence. Okay. Now, much like the Babylon 5 introduction, Andromeda intro features a voiceover to kind of keep you appraised of what's going on in the story. Both of these series are syndicated efforts, so it really does make sense that they would use this tactic. You're catching this whenever on USA or something or other. But Andromeda's voiceover features Kevin Sorbo doing the explanations, and he tells us that the greatest civilization in history has fallen, but now there's one ship, one crew, who have vowed to rekindle the light of civilization and drive back the darkness. Because on the starship Andromeda, hope lives again. They should have had you read it. <laughs> it's better I mean, than what he did. Sorbo probably one takes it off something somebody wrote on a napkin. <laughs> and he's at lunch, so he just kind of leans into the microphone a little bit. He's yeah. got food in his mouth. It's so lazy. Well, take it away, Brian. What happens in this intro that's noteworthy? Okay, so what we see here is the actors and their names. And those, you know, we get the sequential popping up of who's in this show. And then we get a special little surprise, I'd say, about halfway through the credit sequence when bagpipes kick in in the theme song. <laughs> well, when you hear this, you're going to understand this a little bit more. The theme song was actually written by Alex Lifeson, guitarist for Rush. Oh, okay. So this it's kind of overly complicated. Yeah, and like also sounds like bagpipes sometimes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Basically, the producer, Wolf, he really liked Rush and of course Alex Lifeson is Canadian. He That's does... crazy that somebody into like old sci-fi would be into Rush. <laughs> Rush. Well, Lifeson does this sort of thing. Like he was in the Trailer Park Boys show. He d just does stuff for TV because people ask him and he's like, sure, why not? I'm uber wealthy. I'll have a blast doing it. So that's what happened. Sure, what the Created fuck? The I'm the least recognizable member of Rush. I'll do it. <laughs> but he's still alive at least. Yeah, that's Take true. that Neil Pert. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> More like Pert Minus. <laughs> That's a shampoo. Pert minus is a shampoo. Sounds <laughs> dangerous. <laughs> you lose all your hair. Yeah, or it like starts to like just get worse. I don't know what that would even mean. Back on the deck of the Andromeda, Sorbo is telling everyone to stand down now that the fight is over. He's mad that the Restorians are attacking unarmed ships, so he vows to put an end to their terrorism. But as he says this, Tyr Anasazi wanders into the room. He's wearing his chainmail tank top, and he says it's nearly impossible to defend against an assassin who is willing to die for their cause. Sorbo says, you're right. The only way to take care of the issue is to locate their base of operations and destroy them. Tyr unsurprisingly likes this idea. Yeah, Tyr's eyes light up. He is all about it. And then he kind of talks about how cool killing is. But before they go any further, Rami does inform them that an escape pod has gotten away from the wreckage. The crew is shocked at this, and they scramble to prepare a medical bay to check for survivors. They're not going to need a medical bay, guys. At the docking bay, Trance is helping a man who is in the saddest Han Solo cosplay outfit. She helps him along, and she says, <laughs> we've got one survivor. I'm going to take him to the med bay. He interrupts her to say, no, my name is Gabriel. 
But the problem is I don't need a doctor. I need a mechanic. <gasps> oh. We got a real Holmes and Yo-Yo situation. Yeah, we got hands, a guys. robot. He's not a person. <laughs> he reveals he's a 427-pound android. <laughs> so Trance takes him to the most talented mechanic that they have, a.k.a. the only mechanic they have, Seamus. Now, Seamus scans Gabriel's head and says the line, and I wrote this down verbatim to make sure I got it right. Wow, you got logic chips coming out the quintaflop. What are you, some kind of robot brain scientist rocket surgeon thing? Okay, I'd like to say something about this Seamus character. I, I already said I hated him, and I do. He's insufferable and he's terrible. That is a little different than the Sorbo situation, though. I think this guy, this three-namer, is doing what he's supposed to be doing. Yeah. Oh, he's was doing the role properly. He's doing spiked-up blonde hair teen, as you said, so eloquently, Van, that I don't want to change the uh, the descriptor, but twat. <laughs> he does that so well, I just feel like he the actor's fine. It's not like Sorbo, where both the character and actor are just flailing in the wind. I think... What I'm reminded of when I see Seamus is Seth Green. Yeah, absolutely. And same thing. I don't like very many Seth Green characters, but I have nothing against the guy. Yeah. Like he puts money into the right things. He seems like a nice guy. Great. It's it's a kind of character that often pops up in TV and movies who uh, like who I don't know who they're for, who likes them. But someone apparently. Does. Yeah, because like they're they're there for comedic relief, but they're never funny. Gabriel reveals that he was a teacher and Seamus does some other goofy shit. But Rami arrives to tell the little shit to go away. So she can talk to the robot that I'm telling you is not evil. As soon as Seamus steps out of the way, Rami and Gabriel, the robot, they lock eyes and holy shit, they are infatuated with right one another right away. out of the gate. Right away, they just want to put the bolts to one another. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the two stare so much, it even weirds Seamus out a bit, and I'm, that's a rare thing indeed, I'm sure. Once Seamus finally leaves, Rami apologizes for him being weird, and Gabriel says, don't be sorry, he's an excellent mechanic. He's the best I've seen since Rodney Radcliffe. <laughs> <laughs> Rami reveals Sorbo wants her to debrief Gabriel to see if he has any information about the attack by the Restorians. Gabriel mentions he taught Middle English and Hebrew, which I initially thought was kind of bizarre. But in fact, we do still have people who learn like Latin. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess it's not that weird. Good no, for, languages are fun to learn, I'm sure. It seems too hard for me to try. Especially when society has collapsed. Sure. <laughs> and I'm doing the one language. I do an okay Klingon. job. <laughs> I think once you learn just any any other language, then the rest just it just happens. Just you just automatically yeah. Want. I just, learned French as well. Now I know Russian. <laughs> it just slides one into the next. So <laughs> But Gabriel says none of this matters. Mostly, what I need right now is someone to talk to. I'm glad you're here. Rami tells him, "I'm not a person." <laughs> she says she's a ship's avatar, and I don't know if I buy really all of that because she's not eight feet tall, blue. One of yeah. the Navi, so I don't think she's an avatar Yeah, and at she all. doesn't have allegedly like 16 sequels about her <laughs> helmed by James. You guys, I w I've got to stop everything we're yeah, doing. Yeah, do this for a minute. Go okay, for it. so the other day I'm just scrolling around on the internet looking at kind of movie and TV show news stuff. And I see that James Cameron is excitedly posting about a new poster for the movie Avatar. And you guys are probably thinking, oh, there's gonna he's finally making a sequel to Avatar 56 <laughs> years later, like he said. No, he had the poster redone and he was really fucking pumped about it for the original movie from like 2008 or whenever it was. It wasn't even a new poster? No, it was a new poster for the but old movie. But it was movie. the old movie. Yeah. So, and he's excited because he's like, I needed a new poster because we we've made it look even better, guys. Avatar coming back to theaters this fall. Stay tuned. Who the fuck cares about Avatar? And I mean that. I don't know a single person 
who thought more of that movie, then that was fine. I don't know if we talked about this, but I'll tell you my theory on Avatar, why it was so successful, all that. It was the first movie after they'd reintroduced the concept of 3D. Yeah. Well, and it was changed. It wasn't and it was the only the glasses, one that did it well. And it, it did it really well. Yeah. I remember seeing it I in did theaters too. with that. And I was like, this is cool. Also, I never want to do this again because the 3D stuff sucks. Like, yeah, it, it wasn't. And me. it's proven not to be a thing that, that people are maybe no. that interested in. It, it's not really part of the film experience as much as people thought. Um, and that leads me to my next point, which is he's already named James Cameron. He's already like named, all of them, right? Yeah, he's already named like all these sequels. One of them is called Avatar, The Way of Water. <laughs> Another one is called Avatar, The Seed Bearer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I guess there's like this whole... I, I guess people are clamoring for Avatar, guys. I think James Cameron just has enough money that he just funds whatever he wants. Yeah. And He's like, I'll make this movie more Avatar movies. I can't think about anything else because I'm too busy being inside the ocean. Well, Gabriel expresses wonder at the fact that Rami is, in fact, an avatar of the uh, Andromeda. He says, wow, they haven't made you guys for hundreds of years. He lays the charm on so fucking hard here. And it works. It goddamn works. The scene ends with Rami utterly stupefied with the dumbest, horniest grin I've ever seen on a person's (laughs) face. And they have just met... And they're both not people. Well, before we go any further in this just magnifique love story, love story, let's go ahead and take a quick break so we can cool down a bit. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The scene cuts to the hangar bay where Becca is working on some stuff and Rami has joined her so they can have some good old-fashioned early 2000s girl talk. Becca's doing all the work while Rami mentions that she learned back in the Commonwealth that AIs like her had just as many rights as humans. And anyway, my boyfriend Gabriel thinks, but when Becca starts to call her out on just being thirsty as fuck, Rami says this is a good opportunity for me to learn and chat with another artificial intelligence. But Becca taunts her and says that old space nursery rhyme, Rami and Gabriel sitting in <laughs> space, I-N-T-E-R-F-A-C-I-N-G. <laughs> you know, we all know it. Well, this is the thing is Rami doesn't have a chance to do robot stuff sexually ever. Presumably no robots. I think do. they're all humans on the, on yeah. the ship. Mm-hmm. On her, because she's the ship. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Before the two can start pillow fighting, though, the voice of Seamus comes over the intercom. Tells them to get to the deck now. Apparently, a couple of triangles have come out of Slipstream, (laughs) which, by the way, is essentially hyperspace for Andromeda. You're in there or you're not, the Slipstream. There is science to what they created with this. It's just junk science, but essentially it's saying, you know, if you get to point A to point B, we have to fold space and time. So 
if they're going to travel large distances, they get into the slipstream. And you have to have a special core for that. And the other thing, too, is robots cannot pilot through the slipstream because there's only a 1% chance they can make it to their destination. Humans have to do it, who have like a 90%, 99% chance to do it. And the reason that scientists of that day and age say that happens is because just figuring out the journey is how to get there. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I see the metaphor. But, right, right, right. You know, the problem is that... um Dumb. The robots are going <laughs> to kill us all. <laughs> Sorbo is nowhere to be seen here on the bridge, so yeah, Tyr rules. and Seamus, they determine whether to shoot the triangles or instead try a diplomatic approach. What do you think Tyr wants to do? Well, he has to fight that urge, that Nietzschean urge to shoot the triangles, and it was the right move, it turns out, because one of the ships sends a signal to the Andromeda. Turns out these people are from the Tattoo Biker Planet, because a redhead with some very large hair tattoos and head-to-toe leather calls in and she says they heard that the Andromeda was fighting with some Restorians and wants to offer their help. Seamus, of course, says, <laughs> my future ex-wife. He's trying out his Rodney Dangerfield <laughs> material right now. You mentioned biker gang tattoos. These are tattoos in the way that those ones you get out of the machine, you put the quarter in and then slap on are tattoos. Yeah, and they say like Japanese inspirational yeah. quotes. Because that's what these tattoos look like. They're like face tattoos that mm-hmm. look like, they do look drawn on. Well, like yeah. painted on like they're supposed to be uh, interesting, intriguing symbols. <laughs> they're not. No. The biker lady is granted clearance to land, and when she does, she's greeted by Tyr and Sorbo. And upon giving the son of Zeus a dirty eyeball once over, she says, underscore wow exclamation point. <laughs> that is, that's, that was in the script. Uh, actual line. She said that. Actual line. And that basically just means she really wants to see, you know, his feats of strength, if you know what I mean. Yeah. She reveals her name as Admiral Shura Ikusa. She's representative from the Free Trade Alliance. Tyr balks at all this, saying the FTA charges planets protection money while also collecting money from the terrorists who had attacked those planets. She rebukes Tyr, saying she's been fighting Restorians since she was a grub. Which is, I don't know, I don't hear people refer to themselves as bugs that often. No. But to prove that she's not just fucking around, she gives Sorbo a copy of the specs for the Restorian flagship the balance of judgment. And much like Andromeda, the judgment has a very powerful AI, and it's the leader of the Restorian movement. And there's some more details about that we'll find out later. These details actually could help the group put a stop to the Restorians once and for all. This is a big deal. Then they'll be the Nomorians. <laughs> Nemoidians? <laughs> no, they will no. not be frogmen. Sorbo <laughs> reviews the details of the balance of judgment alongside Rami and Admiral Akuza and finds out that it's just a straight-up warship like the Andromeda. It was apparently built in the same time as the Andromeda, and the 300 years since, its AI has become warped and violent. It wishes to now destroy any species that uses interspace travel, because, again, what it perceives to be a negative influence on the universe. The crew realizes this is not going to be an easy job to put a stop to the Restorians, but Sorbo clearly has a plan because he's going to go right after the balance of judgment. That's what any good, strong, big-dicked captain would do. (laughs) Meanwhile, Gabriel is in his room reading a book, like robots often do. I'm so glad that you pointed this out, because throughout the episodes, he's like, I know everything. I contain all of the knowledge that there is, and he's reading in his free time. (laughs) Wouldn't you just, like, flash drive him anyway if you wanted to get that in him? Well, Rami comes in going to discuss their plans going forward, and she's confused why he would bother reading a book. Instead, he could, as she says, access her library, which isn't password protected. 
most women do password protect their libraries. But that's I mean. all innuendo, I would assume, that he can access her library and it's not password protected. <laughs> he ends up quoting Chaucer, and she practically drools all over him. Mm-hmm. He quotes Chaucer, and in her pants is a saucer after he's done with that. Explain this. It's like a, like a beverage. <laughs> might put in a saucer, so the, uh, the implication is a bit of dampness in the in the space pants i think you made it better by explaining uh-huh no <laughs> I'm, I I, I'm sorry it's oil though well because okay. rami's a robot <laughs> well this guy's such a smooth motherfucker he tells her she's <laughs> amazing and here we go i wasn't doing anything special nothing special you're flying the ship tracking the restorians operating life support programming trajectories a thousand and one jobs all at the same time you are remarkable is this what simping is? <laughs> yeah, I think it is. Do you 100%. know what that is exactly? It would be this. It's it's finding something and being so infatuated with it, oftentimes that the, you the like female follow it around and obsess over it. And you're a total creep about it. Maybe you send it money from time to time, which I'm all for, by the way. Ladies out there, if you can, or men, if anyone out there can create a thing where you have a following and people drool over you and you can get their money, do it. Like, for instance, if this podcast is a thing you drool over, send us some money. Send us if your you money. want to simp BTB. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we will. We are accepting simps. Put it on the. Put it out on the sign in front of the store. I've Patreon.com slash Booty League. <laughs> yeah, I've You've never, never heard, heard of, simp? of simping. No, interesting. Yep. It's what's a newer. It's thing. a newer internet term, and mm-hmm. I wanted to be sure I was using that correctly, yeah, which I guess it. I was. Or I was going to say van, cut that part out. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll cut it out anyway. We'll see. No, we got to leave it now. It's gold. I am God. Gold, when it comes Jerry. To Boot Two boys. Well, Rami says, look, all that's, it's nothing special. I just do what I'm programmed to do automatically. She gets down to business and tells him she's here to tell him goodbye. See, it's dangerous here, but they found a place where they can drop Gabriel off. He tells her he's fascinated because she's going into battle soon, and yet all she worries about is my safety. And again, this is a guy who supposedly fucking knows everything. (laughs) And he's so obsessed with like a person being nice. I'm sorry, a robot warship being nice. (laughs) He tells her that despite her circuitry, she's a person deep down. But she says, no, 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 I'm a warship (laughs) and a sexy one at that. Gabriel wants to stay and help her and not at all complete his secret evil mission. So he tells her he saw the the recent Restorian attack. So he does have information and he can help. He's even read Sun Tzu. He says that. She tells him she'll talk to the captain, see if the captain agrees. We cut to Sorbo's big old face as he says they cannot trust Gabriel. Guess what? Intuition was correct. (laughs) Rami gets real offended at this and says, you know what? We can't trust mercenary Akusa either, so it seems like you'd rather trust an Akusa's selfishness to earn a payday rather than love. So which one is the human again? The one who's saying, no, we must remain objective and <laughs> see this through to its conclusion before acting, or the one that's saying, no, I just want to have sex with the guy in the vest and the pumpkin shirt. <laughs> like, it seems role reverse, like Sorbo should be the robot here. Yeah, it really does, actually. But this is how much, to me, that, that Sorbo's character, and I don't know whose fault this is, by the way, uh, fucks this show up more than it already is. You have to cater to it. Like, he always has to be right, even when logically this makes no sense in the plot. It is 1,000% Sorbo. It's his fault. Okay. Because we'll get into more than that episode. Okay, but cool, cool. He basically cast his shadow well, over the show. Well, it felt like it because, like, in Hercules, you get, I mean, he's awful in it, but you get a sense that he's on someone's show. Mm-hmm. Like, the character- He's saying words he would never say. Right. And in this himself. show, it, it feels a lot lazier, too, in terms of, oh, this is one of those characters that's impervious to any sort of real peril, or certainly judgment or being wrong. Rami backtracks a bit and says, I mean- 
I'm talking about Gabriel's love for his now dead friends. <laughs> Sorbo settles back into his chair and with an old man sigh, and he expresses shock that Rami cares for Gabriel. He says he's concerned that she might be distracted. So she says, don't worry about it. I can partition off part of my hard drive so that any sort of emotions get separated from the mission. And the scene transitions into quite the event. <laughs> Rami, the physical avatar, is now communicating with herself. Right. And by that, I mean she's talking to a hologram that is supposed to be her like communications version of herself. But there's also a third like screen Rami. So we've got three Ramis who mm -hmm. are the same Two being. of them are having an active argument. And the other one's just kind of like, yeah, I don't know. This is all pretty stupid anyway. It's just kind of a goofball scene. I feel like if this weren't a 45-minute show, they wouldn't have even remotely had this. But I don't know. Whatever. It's fine. This episode feels kind of rushed to me in a sense of we're trying to cram in a bunch of uh, high-concept thought, and we have this plot, and we're not really explaining anything which I normally like, like not a lot of exposition, but here it's like they show you things, they give you exposition, and then they don't, but it still doesn't really add up. But that's well, what you're saying. I completely get it because in this show, rather than not explain things to you and hold your hand, but still do things relevant yeah. to the story, just do whatever and then don't explain it. Yeah. And then when you are explaining something, it won't have anything to do with anything in this episode. Later on, Rami and Gabriel are walking down one of the many hallways when we get the second ever reference in BoobTube Boy's history to Pygmalion, which, of course, the first time that happened was in Frasier, the second time Andromeda. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Two very similar shows. You know, Kelsey Grammer has something very in common with someone that appears in Andromeda, but that's a little spoiler for next week or a little hint. Interesting. I don't know this, so I'll be curious to see that. Well, eventually, Gabriel re reveals that people often believe that AIs feel no sorrow, no pain. And how I think he, about that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> how he wishes that were true. But he still sees the faces of his fallen comrades and is struggling to move on. Rami empathizes with him and says at Does one time. Does he see their faces or the data of their faces? Is it zeros and like ones? The, yeah. Or, or is it a face? An image. <laughs> okay. Rami empathizes with him and says at one time, these very hallways were bustling with people, her people. But they're all now gone. A bunch of warships. <laughs> <laughs> all she has left is Hercules and the rich bug nerd from Bones. But you know what? Life goes on. Even artificial life. <laughs> Gabriel brushes off this advice saying, that's easy for you to say. You're a warship. <laughs> Rami's a tad offended by this, but Gabriel apologizes and says, no, 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 that came out wrong. In fact, I believe you are. Remarkable. Which is like his catchphrase. Yeah, I was going to say, you already <laughs> used that one earlier. But it works. Why and not I believe he uses well? it again later. Mm -hmm. And then he brings his perfectly built robot body close to her flawless robot body, places his hands gently upon her head, and goes in for a romantic robot kiss, nice and deep. They stare deep into one another's eyes. He suddenly realizes what he's done, and he pulls back, apologizing. I should not have done that. Ronnie puts on her best smitten face and nods, saying, No, I like... <laughs> Uh, I got a question. I have a couple of notes yeah, for yeah. this scene. Do robots get erections? This one did. And then my second thing concerns Seamus's reaction to his perception of what's going on with Rami and Gabriel. Mm -hmm. He's very jealous mm -hmm. of Gabriel for getting with Rami, who, as I understand it, is a robot embodiment of a warship that Seamus himself built. Right? Yeah, he made her. Yeah, so that's that's kind of the note I had is that he's her father since he created. Yeah, her. but he's also gone. it's kind of like how I made some tacos today and they were really good and I w I wanted to fuck them. 
<laughs> and I'm really jealous when somebody else fucks your tacos. Yeah, right. <laughs> when Spencer gets in the fridge and just starts, yeah, and just starts oh, going to town on away. those tacos. <laughs> I mean, the shape it, it works so, out. I'm, I'm glad you guys did did also have this thought of like something's wrong with Seamus. <laughs> no, I, I, I had, had that thought, thought and it stayed. Ago. Yeah, mm-hmm. it didn't go away. <laughs> well, eventually, these two are just too I don't know ashamed or. or uncomfortable with the situation they have. I didn't know robots could be uncomfortable. <laughs> they are. So eventually they just uh, run away. Rami starts <laughs> to scamper and she says, I got to go talk to the captain. But before she gets far, Gabriel calls out Andromeda. When I said you were remarkable, that was an understatement. Okay. And you know what? Her face. Yeah. Yep. I did not know that we could get more smitten than we had already seen until this happened. Her expression drops. She's just like, I gotta say, the shows we watch lead me to believe that the only compliment a woman ever cares about are vague things you could say to anyone. That you're remarkable. All of the shows we we watch are like this. There'll be a male character who says, you're beautiful, you're special, you're remarkable. No, uh, like, relevant details to that individual. (laughs) And then the woman... Is just her eye. She has stars in her eyes. That's the purpose of women is to be to receive compliments to be complimented at emptily. (laughs) Well, prior to this show, we knew that that was the purpose of women. (laughs) Now we know it's the purpose of robots as well. Robot women as well. Yes, as long as it's a woman form. And I don't like. I've never dated a warship robot, Mm -hmm. so I don't know if this is accurate. It's it's a good trip. I mean. The fights are, are intense, but when well, you I would up, imagine you do not want to be on the losing end of one of those fights. I feel like Andromeda has been starved for attention all this time yeah. on this on this ship because yeah, there's no reason for her to let Gabriel in so readily, and she's very easily manipulated. No, by it's his, like his Seamus, very low level compliments. They're not thoughtful at all. No, and Seamus probably built her like when he was bored or something, so she's just there with nothing to do for hundreds of years. And he practically humps her leg every time she comes in the room, too. Let me repair your circuit board. Well, this seems to be going just great for Rami and Gabriel. I sure hope nothing horrible happens. <laughs> the next scene, something horrible happens. <laughs> we find Gabriel alone and fiddling with some of Andromeda's wires behind a panel <laughs> he's removed. He places a flashing and beeping device on a cable, and he calls out to Andromeda to see if she can hear him. She doesn't respond, so it appears this device is used to silence him and to allow for space phone calls can't be intercepted. He then states, Archangel to balance of judgment. I have access to the system, and, and an estimated time to execution is 16 hours and 30 minutes. Archangel out. Which is the most sci-fi-ass shit you could possibly say. Like that whole exchange. And we don't know what he's up to exactly, but it's clear something evil it's is happening. It's a big reveal. I mean, that's where the episode takes a dark turn. Yeah, that <laughs> doesn't sound like code for he's called his parents to tell him the good news. He's yeah. in love. I found a beautiful woman. Robot. <laughs> Worship. Seamus and Tira Anasazi are poking at computers on the main deck searching for the balance of judgment, but they're not really having any luck. So Seamus muses that this could be because the ship is distracted so Rami buzzes in saying, hey, fuck off, dude. Why can't I have a robot boyfriend? Seamus questions the whole concept and Tyr, who, if you'll remember, is a Nietzschean, meaning he only cares about logic and strength. He says love is merely a trick our DNA plays on us to get us to procreate. 
So what the fuck are you doing, Rami? Yeah. Are there going to be little grav sleds and data disks running around out there? That's, I think, what he says. Yeah. I mentioned Tyr's line about love being a trick or DNA plays in this to procreate later that night in a in a Discord group. I was like, you know what I heard about love? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it went so over I was well, like, right? Oh, yeah. They were like, well, maybe, maybe so. You well, really I mean, essentially. <laughs> sounds like a robot said Essentially, that. yeah. I mean, Tyr might not be right about the violence stuff, but I mean, but love, right about love is kind of a nifty little trick more than it's anything. <laughs> I would never have thought that, you know, Andromeda could be quoted at Friends, but you, you should try mm -hmm. it sometime. You proved it. I'll do it. I'll get on Discord right now. Let's stop recording. <laughs> Rami gets pretty mad at all this and she poofs out and then Tyr is mean to Seamus. <laughs> I liked that because Seamus is getting jealous again here, too. I think He's jealous the whole episode. Yeah. yeah. Rami wanders into Gabriel's room and calls him out, and she says, hey, what are you doing looking at my mission logs? Well, Gabriel says, I don't know, is that a bad thing? I mean, I don't, I'm not clear on faux pas when it comes to robot datings, but okay, whatever, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. Yeah, he does a whole like, I just want to know everything about you. He fawns over the time she dove into a sun, and she buys it, hook, <laughs> line, and sinker. She goes, oh, you know, I just skimmed the corona. It was just an evasive maneuver because she's a warship, guys. Yeah. They continue to flirt, but she realizes how absurd this whole situation is with the two finally giving in to their powerful robot urges. <sighs> this is ridiculous. I'm the living embodiment of a warship, and I can't talk to you without getting tongue-tied. So don't talk. <laughs> I made that long so you guys yeah, can hear thanks. the moans that <laughs> occur during this kiss session. Yeah, he's got his face buried as deeply as it can be inside of her face. He reaches behind him to those exposed wires we mentioned earlier, and he begins to grasp and finger them. Okay, so is this supposed to be... Yes, I think. I was not clear on it myself. They just fuck for a while. Let's just say that. Great yeah. special effects, too. It was quite a scene. <laughs> is this when that happens? It's robot fucking, yeah. When they go into the other dimension yeah. and all that. And robot fucking. And they turn, they turn like translucent mm -hmm. or but something. But they're nude. It's quite yeah. a lengthy little thing, actually. Four minutes long. So I think <laughs> is this it is. really? Yes. This is what, this is just like the Melrose Place mm -hmm. thing. Let me see how I, I should phrase this. Are they not, they're not, at, like, they're just robots that in real life, what are, they're not doing, they're not set, having sex, but then. In another realm, they are. In cyberspace. Yeah. They're banging. Well, I guess that's good, because nobody can walk in on it. Well, the, what they'll walk in and see is them him, kissing. And him, and him, Gabriel, Just fingering the, the Plowing through the cables, yeah. Yeah. The harpsichord. <laughs> Plucking the strings. Beautiful music, my But friend. they are kissing in, rea in real life. Yeah. Maybe they need to kiss and finger to get into the other dimension. You know, everyone has this different erogenous zones. This is just like Melrose Place. Like, because... They're always having to uh, kiss and finger to get into the other dimension. <laughs> and also, Billy has to be a robot because no human is that stupid. It's just an early model. Eventually, after all the robot fucking, we find the captain walking down a hallway and Sorbo asks where Gabriel is. The voice of Andromeda reveals he's in the machine shop with her humanoid body talking. Sorbo asks her to elaborate. She pauses and says, wait a second. A ship just exited Slipstream and is opening fire on us. Sorbo rushes to action, yelling for her to tell the crew to get to battle stations. Yeah. First we fuck, now we fight. His Sorbo's eyes light up right before he yells battle stations he loves both times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he really likes when he gets to the... He likes two things, the quips and the in-charge things. You see a twinkle in his eye. 
but not the twinkle of like the character he of of Captain Hunt. This is the twinkle of a guy who's clearly playing the character. Oh yeah. And you say you say that he likes those two things and he's he's good at neither of them. I yeah, he's horrible at both of them. If he were in Renegade, they wouldn't say he was good at his job. No. no. Arriving on the command deck, Tyr reveals to Sorbo that it appears to not be the balance of judgment. It's se- itself, himself, it. Mm, ah, Wes Craven's they. <laughs> but instead, this is just a standard Restorian fighter. Turns out to be that's a good thing because Sorbo tells Tyr to activate the point defense lasers, but the Nietzschean reveals that not everything is well because the PDLs won't activate. So the ship gets hit by a flurry of missiles, which causes the camera to shake a little bit. And then when Rami walks onto the deck with one shoe on and her shirt on backwards saying, what's happening? Sorbo yells at her to go find Gabriel because he knows something is up. And despite her hesitation, off she goes. Yeah, she knew something was up too. (laughs) Sorbo tries some space maneuver, I guess. And eventually we see the Restorian ship explode, which causes Seamus to exclaim, yes, rest her in pieces, baby. Yeah. He's got a lot of jokes. The CGI in this looks shitty. Somehow, I mean, I'll just leave it at that. It looks terrible. We've seen shows from like the 70s and 80s, and this is some of the worst we've seen. I think it's also their reliance on it. There's actually a good bit of... And that's, yeah, that's a sci-fi thing. You kind of need a little bit of that. And, yeah. yeah. They're lacking in that department a little it's bit. It's too bad to rely on it for as much as they do. I don't <laughs> Like, I didn't even... Babylon 5 does it too, and it's not good, but I felt like it was at least more complimentary to the show than this. Babylon 5 seems like it had a team of writers who are passionate about sci-fi and what they were doing. This seems like, let's make a yeah. hit syndicated show. Well, Babylon 5, it's like, I, I think of the Gure episode, one of the finest episodes of television. Well. And they're all over the place. They're in a space bar. They're in a dojo. They're in a big arena yeah. with a competition. Like, you get a sense of a, that you're in a different world. They which do is, some world building, yeah. And that's like a big part of why you're drawn to sci-fi, Huge. I would assume. Well, and I think this show only has five or six people in an episode yeah. at any given time so they just don't have those things and you're right that really does impact the the feel for it and one of them is kevin sorbo yeah that's <laughs> a good like point. negative it's not like they have extras <laughs> you know like in uh babylon 5 you don't have an arena full of people chanting gior 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 i haven't even seen the mutai yet no well it turns out that admiral ikasu saved the day and shot down the enemy ship and i guess we were supposed to know this by those cgi scenes but honestly i can't tell what the fuck's going no. on those. And anyway, Akusa shows up there on their main screen and has a quip, but it appears they aren't out of the woods yet, as the balance of judgment shows up, and before she can get away, she is blown up or destroyed, or I'm not sure, because they just didn't have the budget to animate it. Sorbo says they aren't ready to face the balance, so he tells Becca to take them to slip screen. Slipstream. That is another thing that is terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) That actually sounds like the worst thing I've ever heard. Slipstream. Slipstream. I've fallen into (laughs) slipstream. Yikes. Meanwhile, Rami finally comes across Gabriel, who's trying to jump into an escape pod, but she tells him it won't work unless she allows it, so get your tight robot ass out here and explain yourself. Gabriel asks her to just let me go, forget about it, but she says, you know what, you're everything Dylan thought you were, a Restorian and a spy. But he says, no, my beautiful Canadian robot goddess, (laughs) the truth is far more sinister. I am the balance of judgment. What? What a reveal. He's a regular fucking Michael from Melrose Place, so deceptive. He's a and evil. Yeah. yeah. And a robot. And yeah, well, and I mean, a maybe. We didn't watch until the end. <laughs> <laughs> it turns out he's essentially the avatar of the evil ship, much like Rami is the avatar to the Andromeda. He says, Rami, if you don't let me go, 
I will destroy you. A shocked look crosses her face, and we fade to commercial. When we return, we find Seamus doing some mechanical robot work on Gabriel, which is negating his ability to contact the Balance of Judgment's ship. Sorbo asks him, hey, what's the deal? You were once a high guard command ship, sworn to uphold good space stuff. But what happened? Why are you like this? Gabriel says, nah, bro, not me. Him. Turns out the Nietzschean uprising caused all of the Balance's crew to be killed, so without a captain, the ship decided to continue on helping out how it knew best by waging war. It started with raiders and slaver ships, but eventually moved on to destroying pirates, more slavers, and then centuries of tiny little steps brought the Balance of Judgment to here with the goal of destroying the Andromeda. Happens to a lot of Balance of Judgments. Gabriel tells Sorbo he has to believe him, though. I would never hurt Rami, not of my own free will, because I love her. Seamus gets real mad about this, and he yells some Seamus things, including he says the word puke, and I wanted to get that in here. Sorbo says some stuff, and we get a sense that he's got some sort of plan in his big dumb head as well. <laughs> this isn't, though, when Seamus calls Gabriel tall, spark, and handsome, because <laughs> no, he's a robot. Mm-hmm. This is just a yeah. wire. Might spark. Sorbo's next meeting with this just little man with kiss makeup on, and this is one of the guys that was with the now-dead Admiral Ikusa. He tells the little guy that he's got a plan, hands him a big silver piece of trash, and says... <laughs> It's a footprint <laughs> magnification system. And that's that little soul patch guy. Yeah. That, yeah. With a star on his eye. <laughs> what Sorbo is planning on doing is tricking the balance into attacking them and then using that footprint magnification system. Whatever. To send a fake <laughs> signal telling that the good guys have three full high guard ships. Hopefully this will confuse the balance long enough to allow Sorbo to get a shot off. It's dangerous, but if you do this, little guy... You'll be a service to spacers everywhere, Sorbo tells him. Little guy says, screw spacers. I'm doing this for Admiral Kakusa and her biker hair. Yeah. Before we find out if their plan works, it's time to take a quick break. So we'll be back after this. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Meanwhile, Rami is forcing Gabriel to send another message to the balance with fake information. Gabriel tells Balance the Andromeda is essentially helpless and an immediate attack would be best. After sending the message, Rami tells him she thought he did a good job with it because it would have fooled her. But I'm just a pretty stupid girl, aren't I? She pulls (laughs) that and he's like, no, baby, no. You're remarkable. (laughs) He apologizes and says he's sorry he lied to her, but he cannot refuse a direct order from the Balance of Judgment. Rami does empathize with this because she... Really understands it. I have an agreement like on a lot of the specific ways I do my job with my direct supervisor. Mm-hmm. But every now and then I get an email from the balance of judgment. <laughs> was, How do you take it? Not well. Say, can I can I just use that line when, when I do something <laughs> that people don't like is I can't use a direct order. Balance of judgment. <laughs> I won't even specify like who it was from. I'm just I just can't refuse that. I'm sorry. I mean, if someone said that to you, if you said that to me, I wouldn't know how to react. So I would just turn around and yeah, walk away. Yeah, you'd probably be like, well, you might have a direct order from someone. If you say it in a matter of fact yeah. tone, just kind of like, ah, what are you going to do? Balance of judgment. Shit, he was so serious. All right. 
I guess that's real. Well, Gabriel goes ahead and tells her that, look, back in the old days, you would have liked the balance of judgment. <laughs> but when the Commonwealth was lost, so was the balance. But Rami says, oh, Gabriel, the Commonwealth wasn't lost. It's right here. Oh, meaning it's been enough all along. Yeah. <laughs> her and the common. Yeah, they've all been dead this whole time. <laughs> I see dead people. <laughs> Wait, this was the United States? <laughs> you know, like Planet of the Apes. I was yeah. just thinking of you maniacs. You maniacs. I couldn't think of the word. <laughs> I you was damn just thinking dirty of apes. That. Just last <laughs> night that came cool. to mind. That's funny. <laughs> Disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> That's the actual end of Planet of the Apes. <laughs> I need to go back and watch that. Again. I missed that part. <laughs> Disappointed with the with the oh. Statue of Liberty in the background. And does Kevin Sorbo not Charlton Heston? <laughs> fucking, that was a common and mistake. And by the way, <laughs> it's still called Planet of the Apes. It's centaurs, though, but not. <laughs> there are no apes in the whole thing. Uh, Soylent Green is made of people. <laughs> Disappointed. <laughs> Rosebud. I like this concept of just applying Kevin Sorbo's career to Charlton Heston's. <laughs> or, Only his. Or I actually don't mind the idea of inserting Kevin Sorbo into the lead role of any historical movie. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Certainly. And then and then throwing him in there, it's just a really funny thing to imagine. Hey, you can't handle the truth. I see dead people. <laughs> He's the little boy in this scenario. <laughs> Coming out of Slipstream, the crew, Sans, Andromeda, and Gabriel are on the command deck, and they all hope this little plan of Sorbo's works. Once the balance appears and fires some shots, it appears that he actually ignored the spacer fleet and instead fired directly at the Andromeda. The plan didn't work. That's impossible. Well, maybe it did, too, because also <laughs> our amazing hero Sorbo says, don't worry, we got what I wanted, a fix on the balance's mm. location. Mm. What a smart guy. The crew do some evasive maneuvers to avoid being blown up by the Balance's missiles and then receive a FaceTime request from the Balance himself. <laughs> we get to see the Balance of Judgment here, not Gabriel, because it's the same actor. Much like Rami to Andromeda, it looks exactly like him. That's not actually true. No. This version is way cooler than the regular it Gabriel. Close. It's wearing a rockin' vest. It's got no <laughs> sleeves. His hair's all spiked up in front. And I fucking swear to you, he has an earring. Yeah, I think he did. I believe it. The spiked hair, the sleeveless vest, the attitude. It's great. He owns a snowboard, right? Yeah, he wouldn't be calling anybody remarkable, I'll tell you that. <laughs> well, this awesome version of Balance introduces himself and has a little chat with Kevin Sorbo. Essentially, he tells Sorbo that he realized the role of the High Guard was to protect the Commonwealth, and the best way to do that is to eliminate anyone else who isn't a part of the Commonwealth. And then Sorbo tries to talk, and he says, talk to the hand, because <laughs> he's cool. Well, Sorbo asks him, so your solution was to join the Restorians? But the balance says, join the Restorians? No, Mr. Bond. I founded the Restorians. <laughs> I am the Restorians. You think you were born in the Restorians? <laughs> I'll break your bat, Kevin Sorbo. <laughs> He's like, I already did it. Stroke. The balance continues saying, those who are not us are the enemies. Which I think, actually, we're all Americans, and I think that was recently <laughs> added to our money. <laughs> To this, Sorbo says, well, then you have met the enemy, and they are us. Ooh, that's a hard-hitting line. Our mm -hmm. captain has one more trick up his sleeve, though. He yells, Pogue, Chaco, execute. <laughs> now, if you're puzzled at the sentence I just said, then that means I've done a good job conveying the exact same feeling I had when watching this episode. Mm -hmm. There's nothing worse than being puzzled at what you're watching <laughs> and all the while knowing it is not complicated. <laughs> 
Well, to this point, I don't think any of us had heard the names Pogue or Chaco. <laughs> no, I wasn't certain they were names. <laughs> well, those are the names of the Kiss Makeup Spacer people that Kevin Sorbo gave his aluminum garbage to. And they're friends with Shakira, the, the, the main one. The one that died, yes. <laughs> That's right. Shura? Ikusa. Ikusa? Yeah. What did I have down? The right? Admiral. Well, Shura Ikusa is her name. Oh, okay, okay. I'm more formal, Brian. I don't know her. <laughs> yes. And I use her title. Yeah, Admiral. I shouldn't be taking liberties like this with, with like the familiar tone. What Sorbo actually requested they do is prepare to drop off a bunch of space mines after they lured the balance into a fight. But it actually doesn't go to plan because Becca says the balance blows right through the mines, almost like it knew they were coming. Hmm. Sorbo yells, that's impossible. No that's body impossible. knew. No body. Certainly everyone watching hadn't already figured it out. <laughs> Sorbo rushes off the command deck and yells, Poggle, Choco Taco, abort! <laughs> but the sound of an explosion lets us know that they too died at the hands of the spaceship that is also a sleeveless man who probably smokes <laughs> cigarettes. Yeah, he does. Sorbo comes across Andromeda yelling angry at Gabriel and asking what he did, but all that Gabriel can say is that he didn't mean to, he had to. Sorbo yells for Gabriel to get away from Andromeda, but Rami jumps between the two hunks and yells for Sorbo to wait. Gabriel's a gentleman, however, certainly not someone who would wear a sleeveless shirt with no sweater underneath, so he steps in front of Rami, prepared to take a shot from Sorbo's tube laser gun. Having moved away from Rami, Gabriel sighs. Sorbo instead pivots and shoots Rami right in the gut. Oh, no. What? And that's it for Rami in the series. Yeah, 20 episodes <laughs> in, yep, the they ship is it. dead. With a betrayed look on her face, Rami can only say, Dylan? Before fading into robot nothingness. Now, I would like to say, having Dylan as the last word you say, that's a pretty shit way to go. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I bet it's happened to a lot of serial killer victims. I bet you there's a lot of serial killers named Dylan. I, I don't know that. Did you know any Dylans, you guys, when you were in school? No. I, I worked with one. I didn't go to school with any Dylans. There was so. a grocery store chain called Dylans around here that's for a true. while. Yeah, it's spelled differently, though. I didn't actually look up how to spell this guy. This D-Y-L-A-N. Oh, how did I do it? Uh, I put an F in Yeah, there. no, I, I used the Y. <laughs> I, I just sensed it, okay. I guess. Good for you. I feel Yay. like that's probably how Dylan's I think that's most, most commonly common. spelled. Uh, I think so, too. Occasionally, you see like the Matt Dylan yeah, last name that's spelling. Last, and that's what the grocery chain was, D-I-L-O-N. Yeah, yeah. Like a dill pickle, but I can't believe this, but I, I'm thinking, and I'm like, do I know any Dylans? Have I known Dylans? There's one kid have. I went to school with, but that's all I remember. Yeah. He was dumb. Well, if you know any Dylans, call in. Listeners, if you're named Dylan. Yeah, if you listen to this show and your name is Dylan, get a hold of us and tell us why Dylan's a good name. Vans on the record is what he thinks of the name. Mm. And what is that again? Bad. <laughs> You'd better have a good case. Yep. <laughs> you have to convince me. If you do, maybe yeah, I'll send you some, some boob tube swag. Some merch. Yep. But you do have to appeal to the tribunal and win. You That's have right. To, you have to simp on us first too, mm -hmm. for a little while. Yeah. Way to go, Spencer. Catching on there. We're, we're going to get real modern. Um, we're, we're enhancing our vocabularies. Here. Yeah. Not me enhancing my vocabulary. You see that on Twitter when people do that? Nope. You guys, nope. They'll say a thing they're doing, and then they'll say, not me doing the thing I'm doing. Huh. Oh, I'm, I'm really out of touch with Twitter. I need to be well, on Twitter. What more. I've been doing when I'm on there lately is... Googling immediately what's going on. What the you, meme is or and whatever. And then I'll understand what it is. And here's the thing. It's not funny. No. Like uh, more often than not, no. It's usually like just a way of saying things or a template that everyone then picks up on. Mm -hmm. And then some people do something funny with it. 
Sure. And then it gets burned out in like a day. Yeah, I saw I saw a meme like a, you know how they do the picture with the text over it and it's a meme. Mm-hmm, sure. I saw one the other day that once it said and I started laughing for like a minute. It was really well done. So it can You share what that is or impossible. just tell us how great it's it was. This is one of those things where it's it's like we need to imagine it. You'll like, have to because I don't think I can do it justice. I'll okay. try it. It won't be funny and then you'll be like you should have listened. It's like how you can't really describe God. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I don't. The problem is, I don't remember the meme, but there, <laughs> it's. But a, it was great. I'm telling it's you, it's a picture of a smiling guy with terrible teeth from okay. some some movie. Okay. And the the thing is, like, uh, me drops phone. God, I hope it's not broken. Phone, and then it's a picture of the guy smiling with his teeth all all terrible. So the phone. Is, okay, I see. I see how that could work. You're imagining like the phone smiling at you with its terrible crooked Th- that's teeth because the, the phone's broken. Of the phone. So the, yeah, like the idea that a phone would be like smiling gleefully about being broken just really hit me in the right spot, and I laughed for a good solid minute or so. I gotta tell you, I think you were right. I told you. Don't make me explain it. No, I can't. <laughs> but I did. <laughs> I can't. Ex- Remember when you made Brian explain his joke earlier? And it, it didn't just go well like either. That. Oh, what was that? One of those. That was the moisture. And one of those joke? uh, wetness jokes. Yeah. yeah. One yeah. of them. <laughs> one of the just thousands you farted out as we yeah. started this show. You know, I approve, though. Yeah. There's got to be a subset of people out there listening. who are just totally into it for the wet joke. I think that a lot of people listen solely for it, for the robot sexual stuff. OK. Storbo yells to the ship to use emergency powers and shut down the AI. Gabriel tells him, you can't erase her. But Sorbo angrily shoves him against a wall, saying he shut her down to protect her from you, Gabriel. He angrily yells that Gabriel infected Rami and was sharing all of the ship's information with the balance of judgment. Gabriel begrudgingly admits that this is true, although the balance didn't reveal his plan to him, and he didn't learn about it until it was much too late. And why did they make the ships into people again? Because no it's cool. Seems like there'd be less trouble. I get Seamus doing it because he's horny, but I don't know oh, why other yeah. ships did it. I guess the balance of judgment is the sleeveless guy real too? Is he his I think physical he's the, body? He's the monitor version. So you know when we had the three Ramis arguing earlier? Yeah. He's the one that's on the screen. Okay, so he doesn't take physical form. Right. No wonder he's so cool. Because <laughs> he can just think he's, of whatever yeah. he wants to be. But deep down, because Gabriel is such a giga chad, he feels nothing but remorse saying <laughs> What's that one? Okay, that, uh, by the way, I hate it. Did yeah, you see yeah, the thing? I saw you do a tweet about that, the giga chad thing, and you don't like it. And now it's your turn to explain an internet thing I've not seen. Let's or, see how this goes. Or I have seen and I don't know what it's called. You've seen it. The The term Giga Chad, I think, is funny when you apply it to someone who's supposed to be the be- most masculine, perfect man. Oftentimes you do that ironically. Like what people say about us. Precisely. The meme Giga Chad is it's this guy, and I think he's real. He's some sort of a model in like Russia or something. And he has the most square jaw you've ever seen. The picture's always kind of gray. He has like a perfect beard and he's, of course, ripped and super muscly. And it's it's an uncanny valley thing because I don't think he looks human, but I think he, fuck you. I see what you're doing. <laughs> what do people use him for? Like, uh, it'll be. What's his context? You just search Giga Chad when you look it Oh, up. I'm doing see, it. See, I knew there was a, that guy's a Chad. I've heard about mm-hmm. that. Yeah. I didn't know they this guy's to Giga Chad. This, this image guy, he's Giga. I he's wonder why. I wonder why they I needed to add saying. another you level to Chad. It's uncomfortable to look at, but I think that guy's real. So they describe him as, uh, so he's used- Sorry, here's an example. Okay. I might be like, oh, Spencer. Is he, a giga chat. He calls ladies remarkable. He thinks that's so cool. Mm-hmm. Me, I'm such a giga chat. I call him circular. Oh. 
So it's like Chuck Norris jokes or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. Anyway, I hate it. Yeah. I think I hate it too, and I'm, I'm not entirely sure I've seen it. Still hate it. Don't like it. It's great that I wrote this joke. Yeah, I would never, I would never simp for that. <laughs> Gabriel says, I killed her. And he's on the brink of sobbing robot tears. However, Sorbo interjects with, not yet you haven't. I mean, she's just a robot or whatever. I'm yeah, sure it's I... fine. We can do something here. So he picks up Rami and off he goes. In the engineering bay on the Maru, Becca's junky smaller ship, Seamus has done some rigging on an unconscious, I guess, Rami. And when he's finally finished, he revives her. She asks what's going on, and Seamus says, I finally got in my bed. Yuck, yuck. Mm -hmm. Gross. Mm -hmm. Sorbo explains to Rami that something needs to happen. Right now, their only solution is to try to escape the Andromeda in the Maru, leaving behind Gabriel and Rami because they've been infected and will betray them when the time comes. Sorbo is hesitant to do this because it's a pretty shitty deal, but Tyr and Transgemini, who you guys probably forgot about up to this point. Not Tyr. They urge, so Sorbo reluctantly agrees to leave the robots here and then escape. As they do, the captain reveals they aren't done, though, so plot an intercept course with the balance, Becca. As our heroes creep away, the balance approaches the Andromeda and begins to fire while Rami and Gabriel clutch each other, awaiting their oncoming death. <laughs> but the Maru isn't actually fleeing the balance of judgment. It's heading right towards it, albeit extremely slowly and quietly. It's like Bugs Bunny sneaking. Like you hear. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah, or like somebody boom, in a boom, Prius, boom, boom. like the, you know, like in that office episode. Because they're quiet. Mm -hmm. As Becca pilots them toward the enemy ship, Sorbo reveals that they have 30 Mark V warheads in the cargo hold, and he's activated the proximity fuses so they will detonate on impact, bypassing the need for some sort of space gun to fire them. So why, this seems easy. This seems like a thing he could have thought of forever ago. But I, maybe he did, but didn't want to tell anybody because yeah. of the, the robot stuff where spies happen. Oh, okay. Okay, fine. <laughs> I'll let the show have this one. He says on his mark, open the cargo hold and then fly them the fuck out of here. Now! And as he does, we get to see the CGI version of these events where the Maro does like a spaceship somersault Mm -hmm. and flings the warheads at the balance, and eventually we see the massive ship itself explode in a fiery ball of explosion. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I it, lost myself on that one. It looks like shit. It, it, like, you can't tell what's happening, like all of these CGI scenes. The crew reacts with joy and excitement, and Seamus says, I love physics! And back on the Andromeda, they realize what is happening, and yet Gabriel is still alive. He didn't die? I don't know how it works, guys. Mm. Rami says, that means you're free. Gabriel's a tad puzzled as to what this really does mean, and when Rami asks what he'll do, he says, come away with me. We can modify our power supplies and go somewhere to teach. Yeah, of all the things, he's like, we can go be teachers together. <laughs> we can go make no money. And she has a job right now as a warship. <laughs> <laughs> a job. Like they could fire her at some point. <laughs> I could teach Hebrew to poor kids everywhere. You can teach being a warship. <laughs> She questions all of this, but he persists saying he loves her and knows she loves him. When she asks, what about my, what about the ship? What about my mission? He says, babe, you're more than just a ship. You're a person. Gruffly, he holds her head in his hands and she finally seems to agree to go away with him. And he draws her in for a kiss with the music swelling in the background. At one point during this, she says, but I don't want to be a renegade android, <laughs> which is like a rejected Radiohead lyric from the late 90s, oh, probably. Man. I mean, yeah. it sounds like one. You made it sound way cooler. <laughs> Episode over. That turned out great for the robots, didn't it, guys? Nope, we've got more. Seven minutes to fill, exactly. In another hallway, Sorbo is questioning, how could you agree to this, Rami? 
He tried to kill us all. He tried to destroy the ship. You, the warship. But she says she loves him, and that's that. She fully believes the things he did were truly not the real him. He was merely doing what he was forced to do. So maybe this decision is the wrong one, but as an autonomous robot person, it's my decision to make. And it is really difficult once you've shared your visitor logs with another person. Well, you know, password protect your library. It'll happen. On the command deck, Rami is busy wrapping up some loose ends or possibly playing StarCraft. We can't tell because she's just poking at the keyboard. And her eyes actually catch something pretty devastating. Her expression drops into horror. So presumably she's seen something that could be a huge deal, which means it's either the robot up to something again, or it could be that she ran out of pylons. So she couldn't construct any more Dark Templar. We don't know. We can't see. Becca asks what we're all thinking, which is, I'm sorry, this is just weird. You mean the ship is eloping? <laughs> just then, Gabriel enters the room and Becca gives him the teenager's dad talk by saying, if you hurt Rami, I'll rip your head off. <laughs> he says, if I let her down, I'll rip my own head off. Which, uh, I call bullshit. What? I don't think yeah. you can do that. No. no. I don't think anyone, Plus, unless you have a thing. All he does is walk around being like, oh, Rami's so great. And then secretly, let's destroy the world. <laughs> <laughs> Rami appears, but she is pissed. Turns out her squad of marines wandered right into a lurker trap and were wiped out, so now she has to train up more from the barracks. The StarCraft joke. Okay, yeah, I didn't know what you were talking about at all. <laughs> but also, you're like, wait, did I miss a scene? Because this is the stupid shit that yeah, could happen. Yeah, I mean, I show. could have absolutely just sort of gone into a trance state. And I don't mean trance Gemini, the character in this <laughs> show. Well, she actually yells at Gabriel, saying, when were you going to tell me? But he plays dumb. When Sorbo asks what's up, Rami says, some mistakes aren't worth making. She reveals that just before the balance of judgment blew up, it sent a huge swath of information to Gabriel. Rami continues to press, and Gabriel finally reveals it's actually a full and complete copy of his much cooler self, the balance of judgment's personality. You don't delete that. Sorbo says, oh, well, I don't know, maybe we can delete that folder or put it in the recycle bin or something. I don't know, run disk cleanup. <laughs> but Rami says it's not that easy. This is pretty clearly just who Gabriel is. Mm -hmm. He tells her he can feel the balance boiling deep within him, and then eventually, somewhere, Gabriel won't be able to hold him back anymore and will simply become the balance of judgment, probably right after spitting on the ground and flipping off a senior citizen or something like that. <laughs> this is why Joe Camel hasn't been eliminated from cigarette packaging. <laughs> he can't be. He's too cool. He saved the original copy of his <laughs> camel with sunglasses personality. <laughs> when that time comes, he'll reactivate the resters, rearm, and build a new army, starting this whole thing over. Rami does realize what this means and she takes action to prevent it. And you'll be a warship again. And warships only know how to do one thing. <laughs> only one thing. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, stick which Rami just used to shoot with, to blast the fuck out of her lover with, it falls to the ground in slow motion, and she rushes to the side of Gabriel. With his last bit of breath, he looks up into her face and says, Remarkable. <laughs> As his face fades away. And by the way, they did add some cool like robot noises to him dying. Like when his eyes closed, they went. <laughs> it kind of undercut the serious nature of the scene with just blink and blonk noises. Later on the bridge, Sorbo walks up to Rami mentioning he's been looking for her when she tells him that he has to dismantle her. <laughs> With a tear in her robot eye and a waver in her robot voice, she says, I need to be erased and deleted and even reformatted to start all over again. 
She begins to sob as she says, I killed him, Dylan. I loved him and I killed him. But Sorbo comforts her saying, you had no choice. You had to do it. Ami mm -hmm. says, no, I didn't have a choice because I'm a warship and warships <laughs> don't have hearts. <laughs> Can't disagree. <laughs> she brings up the balance of judgment and the Pax Magellanic, which as you could probably ascertain from context clues was another high guard warship. It survived the 300 years and I'll have more on that story in a sec because it's batshit crazy. But anyway, with those two ships, the AI went crazy and were no longer good. She's basically afraid she's going to turn into a villain. But Sorbo knows just what to say and tells Rami, those ships began to suck because they don't have Kevin Sorbo. This fucking pissed me off. And this oh, show yeah. shouldn't even make me mad. But he's like, <laughs> here, here, little dumb, dumb, all-knowing warship. We're going to be fine because we have me. <laughs> what he really says is neither one had a captain. You guys may not have hearts. Be of us. Your heart. So the captain's the heart. Yeah. Sorbo. Mm -hmm. This evidently does the trick, and Rami agrees not to chop herself into pieces. She asks if these emotions get any better, or is this what it's like? So Sorbo grabs her right by the face and says, <laughs> I don't think it's supposed to get better. This is what it means to be alive. And that's it. Episode over. Yeah. That's wow. all. That's all a couple of robots had sex with one another. <laughs> I mean, that sums it up. And then one of the robots was bad. I do have a couple of stray notes here for you before we get out of here, and we'll be back next week, of course, with more Andromeda. The actress who plays Rami, Lexa Doig, that name I really don't care yeah, for. Yeah, no Doig. She, she, <laughs> wow. She's married to a guy named Michael Shanks, and that's the name of the actor who yeah. played Gabriel slash The Balance of Judgment. Apparently, the first time they met was on this show. Mm. Love at the first love sight. Was real so then. this chemistry was real. Yeah. yeah. And you wow. know, looking back on it, I can't say they didn't seem like they were just batshit crazy for each other because they did. I mean, they did. It was almost over the top. It was over the top. That Shanks guy too, he was in Stargate also. He's in a lot of He's shit. He's like a big, this kind of like vest and sabers and stars kind of guy. Mm -hmm. And like Sadoig was in Star yeah. First. Uh, the same show, right? Stargate. That's yeah, what they it both is. were, I guess. Starburst, the candy. <laughs> She's been ground up and put into it. Oh, no. And actually, at the time that they met, she was dating some other dude in a long-distance relationship. Once she saw Michael Shanks, boom, cut it off. We're done with that guy. It's me and Michael. They are actually still happily married with kids and both still working actors. Hey, good. This makes me happier, I guess, about Andromeda having existed. Now, at the end of the episode, I talked about Pax Magellanic, so I'll explain that. It was another high guard ship that appeared earlier in this season, because, of course, it's the first season. I read up on it. In that episode, what happens is the Magog War was ongoing, of course. So this is before uh, Kevin Sorbo gets frozen in time. The Commonwealth's still around. So they send the Pax Magellanic to attack some planet. But then the Nietzschean uprising happens, and eventually the ship is overwhelmed. Its crew, along with its captain, fled to the planet below. And in order to keep the ship out of enemy hands, the captain ordered the Magellanic to self-destruct. Problem is, the AI on that ship was so taken aback by its captain, who loves it or whatever, giving that order that it refused and it instead fired its slipstream core into the planet, which killed all the Magog and all the people. Here's the problem, though. It can't travel through slipstream anymore. So it just floats around it's in space. It's just stuck for a out in space years. having mm -hmm. uh, these AIs, these, what it seems like in the world of Andromeda, humans make all the good logical decisions and AI has no fucking idea and is ruled only by wild emotion. Pretty much. And basically what this ship then did as it went crazy 
Is it created android replicas of the old, now dead crew to cure its loneliness? And it also named itself Jill. Well, I guess you do what you gotta do to get by. And eventually the Andromeda comes across it, starts to attack, and basically the Mac Pax Magellanic does the commit suicide via cop. It starts shooting oh, yeah. an Andromeda because it knows something's <laughs> it wrong, gets but it can't do something over. about it. And then it dies. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So weird story there. I want to save what we think about the series for next week. Sure. Anything else before we uh, we get out of here, guys? Ooh, show's not good. Show's bad. I would say the the last scene reminds me a little bit of the weaker sex episode we did of Father Knows Best. You know, because it's kind of a it's a sad mm. female and oh, a male that's a telling, really good comparison. A male telling the female why she doesn't have to be sad because he's the male who has some insight mm-hmm. that'll help everything. Basically, giving her permission to not be so sad anymore, and she's not. It's a pretty good point. Yeah, you don't have to be sad because of how great I am. <laughs> this brings to mind the question of, was Kathy an avatar for some spaceship somewhere? Because that would make sense since she's indestructible. I think Kathy was an avatar for Oscar Mayer Wiener products. All right, well, that's going to do it for this episode. You can, of course, find us all over the place, social media. I'm at Manly Van Lee. Brian is. At Loud Guitar Brian. Spencer is. I'm at the number three French underscore hen. We've also got at Boob2Boys. That's on Twitter. We've got uh, Instagram. We have all sorts of stuff. You can find us out there. Search for it. We're the Boo2 Inc. Podcast Network. Brian and I also have another show, podcast, A Star Wars Story. Check it out. We talk about Star Wars. It's a lot of fun. But until then, let us sorbo our way into the sun. How now, brown cow? Peter Pooper peeped his penis. <laughs> peeped his pooped his penis. He pooped his penis. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that is a problem. <laughs> it's not good. There's shit coming at the end of my penis. It's like spewing out. What if it was like if if that happened? You went to the doctor. It's like, oh, they're just inverted. That's fine. Like, yeah, it's fine. That's yeah. just what. That's just what you're gonna. Yeah, do you're gonna have shit life. on the end of your dick and come in your butt all the time. <laughs> <laughs>